Well, good morning, Dorisville. Let me say thank you to the worship team this morning. Um, every week they lead us to worship, and it's always good. But today was real good. And I want to say especially thanks to the choir. Awesome special. The applause was just a little bit weak. I think you need to try again. Say thank you to the choir today. Now, we understand the applause is for the Lord, but that's a way to say thank you because these guys give up an hour of their week. Uh, it's back now Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. And uh, they would love to invite you to come and be a part of the choir. Some of you used to sing in the choir, perhaps here at another church. Maybe it's time to come home. Uh, they sounded so wonderful this morning. They really did. Imagine 10 or 15 more ver- voices. And also this. Imagine this. You get a chance to serve. Instead of just looking from the, from the pews, you get to be part of the worship experience uh, and worship team here at Doorsville. So if you want that to happen, uh, one, to show up Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, but see Brother Dave and answer any questions that you got. We would love to have you in our choir. And thank you, choir, for an awesome job today. Well, hey, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here, but we're always glad for the members to come back. We appreciate that so much. And we're in the middle of a series. This is week number three in a series that we're calling Lights, Camera, Acts. It's normally action, but it's Acts. And what we're doing is we're looking at chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Acts. And today's sermon title is No Other. No Other. You know, when something says no other, it indicates one of a kind. And you could use many illustrations, but I thought this one today was particularly interesting. It involves guitars. Now, I, I don't know a whole lot about guitars. I do know this. Did you know that every week... There are two tailors on the stage. Brother David, because he likes me so much, sold his other guitar and bought a Taylor guitar. <laughs> Just want you to know that. I don't know. He tells me that's a pretty good guitar. But the one I want to tell you about today is really spectacular. Now, again, understanding what I'm about to give you came off the Internet with a little bit that I knew um, personally. But anyway, there's a guitar called the um, Starburst um, Fender... Stratocaster, there you go. That's it. I told you to know a whole lot about this. Now, here's the deal. Today, you could buy a Stratocaster uh, for about $950. That's that's about what it set you back. But, now, again, I have to say I don't really know this because I was a very small baby in 1965. Okay. But in, 19, in the early 1960s, you could buy a, a Stratocaster, a Strawberry Stratocaster, for about uh, $260 to $350, somewhere in there, okay? Now, that very same guitar, guitar, I can't even talk today, guitar today is about, um, it would probably go from like seventeen dollars to $25,000. Isn't that credible? Well, you know, what if you were a kid and you had one of those and you hunt and you hung on to it? Think how much money you would have. But now, here's the deal. Um, here's the story. I want to show you a particular guitar, and it kind of tells you what's special about this one. There it is right there. This is Bob Dylan's Sunburst Fender Stratocaster, first unsheathed at the 1965 Newport Folk Festival. Now, here's a little bit of the background. And again, this I happen to see on History Detectives if you watch PBS. So, Bob Dylan was a part of the protest movement, folk singers like Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know, you know, how many times must a young man, you know, real folksy kind of thing. And this festival was for protest, real folk music, 
Okay, And Bob Dylan was the rising star, perhaps the star of that kind of music in that day. And unannounced at that festival, he gets out instead of his little acoustic guitar and, and singing about war and flowers and all that stuff. He gets out there with a Stratocaster and you know how like car, you know, electric cars. And like the crowd there is going... Well, it's kind of like you guys when, when you, you know, you know, you hear music that you're not used to. Well, this is not what they signed up for. And so people started booing him. You know, people started walking out. Okay, they were so opposed to this music. He kept right on doing it and it really changed the focus because he went from being this, this folksy, um, anti-war, you know, you know, calm music to being a rock star. Okay, and that's when it happened. Well, that guitar disappeared. And I found out from history detectives, this really I thought was cool, that Bob Dylan left it on a private airplane that he had, you know, had leased to fly around the country. And the pilot just never gave it back to him. And so years later, before this pilot died, he told his son, I believe it was, I think it was his son, it may have been daughter, and said, hey, this guitar used to you know, belong to Bob Dylan. So knowing that Bob Dylan played this Fender Stratocaster Starburst, particularly, he called history detectives, and they did all this research. And through, you know, every guitar has a fingerprint, the, the pattern of the wood and all that. They found out that this was the guitar that they had that Bob Dylan played at that festival. And it went from being a, it went from being a $260, $350 guitar. And today's money, if you have one, a seventeen to 25000 guitar to being sold at auction for $965,000. Go, woo! And now how'd you like to have that guitar? I mean, wow! Now here's the deal. What made that special? There was no other like it. I don't think we totally grasp what I want to teach you today. And hopefully by the end of the service, you'll have a better grasp. Because I think on this level, we have a grasp. I'm not sure we're down at this level. Because you see... Jesus Christ is like no other. Jesus Christ is like no other. And, and I want to take this wonderful scripture in Acts chapter 4. And, and we're going to start reading verse number 5. We're going to read those verses leading up to 11 and 12 in just a moment. But I want to show you today that why Jesus Christ is no other. But before we do that, I really want to call out just a couple other things too. That's this. Do you understand today? And I don't, I really do not like the word religion. You heard me say that last week. I always heard, and it's not original to me, I don't think, but I heard someone once say that religion um, is man's attempt to reach God. And, and that's what you have in this world today. All these different religions coming together trying to say, okay, this is what God requires that I can come to Him. So I don't like the word religion. So I'm going to call it faith. But do you understand that faith, faith, there's no other faith like Christianity? Do you understand that? Do you know, do you know that, that every other religion, say every other, now I don't, without exception, every other religion, not in America, not in Western America, you know, Western part of the hemisphere, but all over the world, every other religion works, uh, puts works together, sometimes a mixture of grace, but mostly just works. That somehow they believe that out there, if we do certain things, we can gain the favor of God. And, and I always illustrate with a giant scale. Most of them say this, that there's something you can do, 
Okay, that that and you say good things that when you die, that the good things will outweigh the bad things and you get to go in the presence of God. Every other religion. But you need to understand very clearly that is not how Christianity is. Now, I know we, we play it sometimes because we really believe somehow that if we go to church and write checks and do something, it's almost like we believe that we gain God's favor. And you did not got, gain God's favor except through this no other savior named Jesus Christ. There's no other works you need to do, nor can you do, to gain God's favor. So it's a one-of-a-kind faith. Okay, I'll go ahead and use it. It's a one-of-a-kind religion. So you need to remember that. I mean, Christianity is very exclusive, not only because of its belief in Jesus Christ, but because we're the only religion that says salvation can be unmerited. It can be by grace and not something we do. I thought it was pretty incredible. Now, the second thing is this. You need to understand this. That the Word of God is like no other book. Not only is Christian like no other faith, and not only is Jesus like no other Savior, but there's not another book like the Bible. And the Bible has, has you know, the Old Testament parts, you know, 3,000, 3,500, 4,000 years. Uh, and actually, if you go back to Genesis, you know, Moses wrote, but if you go back to Genesis, we're talking six, 7,000 years. So this book that we call the Bible is not a newcomer. It has been around a long, long time. In fact, the New Testament, written shortly after the death of Jesus and the following years after, have been around for, for 2,000 years. It's just an incredible, incredible book. May I say this? There is no other book like it. Say amen. That's a good time. But, but you, you might be saying, well, what about the Koran? Well, the Koran is a relative newcomer to religious writings. Um, I think it was getting somewhere around three, 400 uh, A.D. after Christ, a half a, a, half a uh, millennia after Christ, okay, that the, the Koran came into being. But here's what's cool about the Koran. Well, I'll say cool, unusual about the Koran. Did you know, and by the way, this is, this is just fact. Did you know that there are scholars that their sole job is to interpret the Koran? Because the Koran, now the, the, any Muslim will, that knows the Koran will tell you this. This is not the preacher bashing the Koran, okay? The Koran is very inconsistent and has contradictions. Because as Muhammad received vision, he said, from God, sometimes that vision would contradict a vision that he already had. So they have scholars that their total job is to find out what is the latest vision that Muhammad got and figure out what part they're supposed to follow because parts were superseded. Now, again, that's just fact. That's what it is. Guess how many, not translations now, don't go translation, but how many revisions has there been to the Word of God? Come on, none. Now, does that not strike you as wow? I mean, if I was sitting there today and a guy told me that of all the books in the world, this one got it right the first time, this one there does not need to be a revision, I think that's pretty cool. In fact, in fact, if you're here today and a Jesus follower, you need to write that down and remember that. Because someone's going to tell you one day, ask you one day, what about the Koran? Well, now you've got some information to share back with them. Okay? Well, what about revision? But does the Bible... No, the Bible does not contradict itself. It does not. So, so write that down. We have a faith in Christ like no other, and it's based on grace. And we have an uh, antique, antique book that God has preserved through the millennia. And we have it today. I love to tell the story real quick. 
Um, thank you, Dave, for getting me in early today. Um, so, so here's a, it's great, you know, when they discovered the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946, okay, shepherd boy chucks some rocks into a cave and hits some clay jars, goes up there and finds these manuscripts, these ancient, ancient manuscripts of, of the Old Testament. And they were about three to four hundred years, if I remember correctly, before the birth of Christ. That's the, that's when they were, that's when they were copied. At that time. And in those copies was a total scroll of the book of Isaiah. And you know what? That copy that was three or four hundred years before the birth of Christ, with the exception of two or three, four small, small uh, er, you know, changes, differences in penmanship and, and, and marking, is the exact same Isaiah that you have in your Bible today. It's incredible. It's incredible. So I'm trying to say, this is a book that you can believe in. And Jesus is a savior that you can believe in. And his plan of redemption is a plan that you can believe in. Now, so Dwayne, let me ask you a question. Do you have all the answers? Now, you know better than that. I don't. But but a pastor said once, and I've really latched onto it. And and this this is my verbiage, not his. But you might want to write this down. I refuse... To forsake the undeniable for the unexplainable. I refuse to forsake the undeniable, the truths of Christ and his word, for the unexplainable. I don't know if Adam had a belly button. I don't know where Cain got his wife. I'm really not totally sure how dinosaurs fit in. But I do know this. What is undeniable is his word. And what is undeniable is the truth of his word. And what is undeniable is the fact that Jesus Christ is like no other. So get your Bibles out, please. And let's look at Acts chapter... Y'all, are y'all going to be quiet today? I need to know before I beat myself to death trying to get y'all to say amen. <laughs> okay, well, occasionally if you'll throw an amen out, it might speed the sermon up a little bit. Terry? Uh, was Terry? Yeah, dude, yeah, there you go. Yeah, if you say amen, I say, okay, they got that part, I'll move on now. If I don't think you got it, I may have to linger a while. Okay, but anyway, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter four, and we're going to start in verse number five. I'll try to make just a couple of comments. I want you. To, oh, here's the story. I'm sorry, I got to tell you the story. Okay, if those who are here the last, the first week, the first week, there's a guy who had been uh, lame since he was, you know, for forty years since the time he was birth, he was lame. He's sitting there going, "Hey, I need some money." Uh, Peter and John come up to him and say, "Don't have any money, but here's what I've got." In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter reaches down and takes him by the hand. His his legs and the Greek, it's very clear. The joints come back together in his feet and ankles, and he's able to walk. He can never walk before. So not only is he healed, he knows how to walk. He's jumping and praising God, all these incredible things. We learn definitely and clearly from verse number 16 um, also that not only that, but he also experienced saving faith that day. The Bible is very clear. By faith in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, uh, Peter said later on. So that happened, and and that day 2,000 people, I'd love to preach and 2,000 people get saved. How incredible. So so the church went from being like, like 3,000 and 2,000 to it. You know, 5,000 men plus women and children. How incredible was that? Peter preached this great message and said, you need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus. So we left it off last week where, where the church people showed up. The Pharisees, I'm sorry, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they are... Sad, you see. Okay, so the Sadducees showed up with the temple police and some other guys. And they arrested Peter and John and threw them in jail. Okay, so that's where verse five picks up. Okay, the rest of the story. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, 
John and Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And they weren't there to have a picnic. All right? So it goes this. And when they had set them, Peter and John, um, in the midst, they said, By what power or by what name have you done? And Peter said, I'm really glad you asked. And he preaches basically the same sermon again in a shorter format. Then Peter, and this always we had time to camp and we don't, filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Now, I'll tell you why that's good. Because some of y'all say, I can't, I can't do this in the church. I can't do that in the church. I can't do this in the world through my faith. I can't do this for the kingdom. I can't, I can't, I can't. Do you understand something? That Peter, just about, you know, like three and a half, four years ago, was a fisherman. He was not a public speaker. He was not a a seminary graduate. He did not know and quote the entire Old Testament. That's what he had for his Bible. He was a fisherman. And one day he followed Jesus Christ. And did he stumble along the way? Uh, Hello? Hey, the rest of these cops, you know, the rest of these comic guys, they're going to deny you, Jesus, but not me. And Peter said, or Jesus said to Peter, Peter, man, before the cock crows, you know, you're going to deny you know me three times. No, not me. I mean, did he? Yeah, he did. I mean, Peter really fell flat on his face like a lot of us. And Satan has told us that since we've fallen flat on our face, obviously God can't use us. That's hogwash. So, so he, you know, he is baptized with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, okay? And then they, they speak in languages. And again, it's not an unknown language. They spoke in the languages of the people that were there. And man, and it's really cool because, again, 3,000 people get saved. But I want you to understand, this is an ordinary guy just like you, and just like you, Tyler, and just like you, Greg, an ordinary guy filled with the Holy Spirit. Gosh, I don't, I'll take time. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You're, the day you trusted Jesus, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to need. But there are multiple fillings, because multiple fillings means surrender. It simply means saying yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. It's being able to do what you do, not through your power, but God working through you. Does that make sense? So, so if you're a teacher, you teach through. If you're a preacher, you preach through. If you're a worship leader, you worship lead through. If you sing the choir, you do it through. Okay? So Peter now is surrender and is in total control of the Holy Spirit. And this is really cool. He says, by what power? They said, by what power have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged... For a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you. Now, see, that could have easily said God did it. God did it. But that would have been shortcutting it. He didn't say that. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And it's so funny over and over again. Listen. The early church knew the importance of the resurrection. We should celebrate that more. Amen? And God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you. And here's these powerful, wonderful verses where we want to launch into our sermon today. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is No other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this reading of your word. And Father, I am praying that we will leave here different. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, that we'll have a clear understanding of just why Jesus, there's just no other like him. And that, and that we're just not being narrow in our thinking when we say Jesus is the way. He's the way. He is the only way. And we need to spread that to a world that in so many different ways tries to come in relationship with you. And they will fail and they'll spend eternity separated from you. Whether it is Uganda or Nicaragua or across our street, people need to understand that there's one way and that one way is Jesus. So strengthen us, undergird us in our understanding of the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. So, so we had this situation where Peter says that this is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Now, you, if you're Greg, I know you're a, you're a construction guy. And you know, in, in those days, they built the, the foundations out of stone. And there's one, the cornerstone was the most important stone. It held it all together. And Peter says that Jesus Christ was to be the cornerstone, but you rejected him. You, rejected, you counted him not worthy. And you don't know why they counted him not worthy? He did not fit their mold. If he had come into the to Sanhedrin and done it their way and all that pride and puff and circumstance, they would have had no problem with him. But he came and did it his father's way because that is the way. And so because of that, the establishment, the church, totally rejected him. He goes on and says this, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. So what, this, what, you know, what Peter is saying, and you get this, what Peter's saying is, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. There is not, well, you know, if you try real hard, there's not if you do a lot of good works. You know, of course, the, the pillars of Islam, you know, if, if you're charitable to the poor, if you pray five times a day, uh, if you make your trek to Mecca, okay, that's, that's a very, again, probably um, Islam is one of the largest denominations, fastest growing denominations, chief competitor for the souls of men and a lot of the world. And so they say, you know, if you do all that, you get there. But Peter says, no, 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 wait, no, wait. There's no other way. There's no plan B. There's not another route. All roads don't lead to Rome. And listen to me now. All roads do not lead to heaven. And you're going to hear it over and over again today. There is one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is a Savior like no other. Okay? He's not, he's not like just a good religious guy. He's a Savior like no other. And then he says this. For there is no other name. If you don't have to underline your Bible or you need to underline that on your sermon sheet. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How incredible, how powerful is that? There is no other name. Now, if you, if you struggle... Why we do the things we do as Dorisville is because of that. I mean, a chunk of Harrisburg knows, but a lot of chunk in, in North America and Illinois don't. And, and, of course, around the world, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know that there's no other name. And you understand, unless someone tells them there's no other name, they're going to die and go to hell because of their sin, not knowing there was a name. And why we do what we do here in the Berg why we do what we do in Illinois, why we do what we do in North America, and what we do around the world is because there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. We've got to share the good news. 
we got to share the good news. We are negligent. We are irresponsible if we don't. No matter how much we like our, our church, no matter how good we feel about one another, if we are not out evangelizing this world because there's no other name, we are irresponsible. So we've got to be responsible followers of Christ and share this wonderful news that there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. So, so again, because Christ is no other, what, what makes him? What sets him apart? And what I'd like to do this morning is just take you through the major tenets of who Jesus Christ was. And perhaps something you've not heard new, but maybe we'll, you, you go, well, that's right. You know, that's right. You know, for instance, look at the first one. If you have a sermon sheet, it was no other was prophesied like this. No other was prophesied. You know, no other plan was prophesied like Jesus Christ. Now, here you go. Now, I'm going I'm to give you a round number because that's what I'm going to give you. But there are about 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, that's a good place for an amen. 300, 300 instances in the Old Testament. See, see, you know, the, the plan of redemption and the plan of Christ is not an, a New Testament concept. It started in the very beginning and actually before the beginning. So, so we had this woven throughout the Old Testament and, of course, explodes in the New Testament. So there are 300 times that the Old Testament writers referenced the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, I thought this was like way cool, so I want to share it with you. Now, the website referenced MIT, but I'm not going to do that because I, can't, I didn't take time to verify that. But, but here you go. Here's the illustration. If you were to take um, 100 trillion, is that a bunch? 100 trillion silver dollars. Dump them on the entire state of Texas. Are you going to picture? When you dump them and level them out, the stack would be two feet tall. So we got one trillion silver dollars, two feet deep, all over the state of Texas. All right? Then you take one of those silver dollars and you put an X on it. You go back and you stir the pot up. You release a blind man and say, find the marked silver dollar. He can go where he wants to, take as long as he wants. There is one and 100 trillion chances that he would find that silver dollar. Now, that's not of a man. The chances that happen are not of a man who has this prophecy fulfilled and see them fulfilled. That's only eight. If you take the chances of a man having prophesied just eight things about his life, place of his, things he couldn't control, place of his birth, the time of his birth, the reaction of people, how he died, his life, his death. Just take eight of those, not 300, take eight. And the chances of those things becoming true and lived out is one and 100 trillion. Jesus Christ is like no other. And see, it all start, it started back in the book of Genesis. That's the scripture I chose. And, you know, you know, Adam and Eve sinned, you know, and they were hiding from God. And God found out and, and asked Adam, did you eat the fruit? Was her fault? And, and, and he said to her, did you eat the fruit? And said, yeah, but it's, I did, but it's his fault. Talking about Satan. And here's what God says. In verse 15, he says this. 
And I will put hostility, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, my Bible, in my New King James Version, the S is capitalized for good reason. Because her seed was not just another man. Her seed was the promised Messiah. So there's going to be warfare. There's going to be hostility. And then God says this. He shall bruise your head. Hey, serpent, this one coming will bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. In other words, hey, Satan, there's one coming. And he's going to willingly lose a battle. But he's going to win the war. There's one coming. There's one coming that will allow himself to be wounded. But in the end, you will be cast forever in hell. And who was that? It was Jesus Christ. The, the, I, oh, if we had time. You know, we could go. If you fast forward a few years, and of course, that day, God takes an animal and slays it and makes clothes for Adam and Eve. You know, the spilling of the blood. And fast forward to the world's just so corrupt. And God talks to a guy named Noah and he build an ark. And that ark is a perfect picture because those inside the ark are saved. It's shouting, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. When you get Abraham and Isaac up on the mountaintop and Abraham was willing to slay his son and God stops that and provides the ram in the thicket. It's saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. There's a prostitute named Rahab who, by the way, uh, interestingly, ended up in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Imagine a prostitute in the bloodline of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But Rahab, through faith, lets down the scarlet red cord, you know, trust God and God delivers her. And that's what that silver cord represents. There's a Messiah coming. And his name is Jesus. And over and over and over and over and over again, every time a lamb was slain, every time a lamb was slain, as the priest went into the holiest place and slain that lamb, as that blood was spilled, it was looking forward to Messiah who would come and spill his blood. I'm telling you, the prophecies of Jesus Christ are incredible. He is like no other. It's no accident. It's no accident that John the Baptist, when Jesus shows up on the scene, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So why is Jesus like no other? Because no other person, not Muhammad, not the founder of Hindu or Buddhism or any other religion, none, none, none has prophecy told and fulfilled like Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, that's incredible to me. It's just incredible to me. He really is like no other. He, he was like no other in his birth, in his birth. The Bible says that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. See, not only His place of birth and the time of His birth, but how He's going to be born. He's going to be born of a virgin. Now, can I explain that? I can't explain how my toenails grow. But you know what? I refuse to forsake the undeniable for the unexplainable. I figure, I figure if, if God can create a world in, in six days, you know, if he, can, if he can make an ocean part and guys walk wrong, I figure, you know, a virgin conceiving is just right up his alley. Amen? I, I just believe that. I just believe that. I mean, it, it's, it's like no other. And the reason this is so crucial is because if Jesus had been born like us, Brent, I've got an earthly daddy and I've got an earthly mama. 
And I, you can look now. If you, if you knew Austin, you could tell. Um, well, my hairline's actually gone a little bit further than his. But he had this, like, U-shaped thing, you know, like that, you know, kind of like I got. And mine just fell out. Um, it used to be a U-shape. Now it's kind of like, I'm not sure what it's like. But anyway, you would say, oh, that's like Austin. And, you know, my daddy had this Roman nose, you know, thing. And you'd say, that's like Austin. And you know what? Daddy's ears were kind of big. And you'd go, that's got to be Austin's son. See, I inherited characteristics physically of my father. All right? And, and I also inherited something else, not only from Austin, but from Adam. And that's a sinful nature. See, so, so we've inherited this sinful nature down through the years and down through the years and down through the years and down through the years. Every human born inherits a sinful nature, except Jesus. Because Jesus had a earthly mama and a heavenly father. See, that's why it's so important. Well, Dwayne, did, did it happen? I, yeah, I think it did. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Yes, it happened. Yes, it happened. Jesus Christ is like no other, no other man. And because of that, He could be the Savior of the world. Because if He, had not, if he wasn't virgin born, He'd have a simple nature just like us. And they would know Him to a cross, but He'd be dying for not our sins. Not our sins. But because he was virgin born and was born like no other, he could be the savior of the world. Now, did Muhammad claim that? See, that's really cool. These things are so out there, no one's claiming them but Jesus. I mean, you don't hear anybody saying these days, well, my, my actions were prophesied 10,000 years ago or 8,000 years ago. You know why? They weren't. There's not another religious leader in the world that makes these kind of claims. Because Jesus is like... You're you starting to understand that Jesus is the real deal? He's not just some you know, carpenter we kind of fell in love with and kind of committed our lives to. He really is the Savior of the world. There's no other like Him. Now, now not only was He um, you know, without a sinless nature, in His birth, He lived a pure and He lived a sinless life. Now, let's just do, now don't raise your hand, okay? Is anybody here not sinned? You know, if I had a, if I had a, now, of course, there are some Baptists who really believe they haven't. I need to tell you that. I'm not sure about everybody else in other denominations, but I guarantee you there's some Baptists who go, well, I'm pretty good, you know? So, but if we could get this huge megaphone and go, attention, please, all over the world. If anyone has never sinned, raise your hand. And if they're honest, it'd be like, no, no. Because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all done that. But here comes Jesus. Not only without a simple nature, but for the 33 years he walked on the earth, he never sinned. I love this. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot, be, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. How about that? He was tempted. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Is Jesus one of a kind? Is he like no other? Is there anyone else raising their hand saying, wait a minute, I can claim that? No. Jesus is like no other. Um, speaking of Jesus, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, all of this verse. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful? He took our sin. He had no sin of his own. He took our sin. And when he bled and died on this cross, he paid the price for our sins. And that leads us into, he was like no other in death. He was like, no, not that he was the only one to ever die. But the way he died and the reason he died is just, it's just way, way, way huge. Just, see, lots of folks have died. There's no doubt about it. But, but listen how Jesus died. So when Jesus, this is uh, John chapter 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. What was finished? Come on, come on, believers in Jesus. What was finished? The price for our sin. The atonement for our sin. See, you don't have to, he didn't say, okay, I did half of it. You guys do the other half. I, 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 I did 70, you do 30. I, I, I did 90, you do 10. Some of y'all think like that. So you think somehow you got to add something to it. You ain't got to add nothing to it. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. You don't have to add a thing to it. Just like a complete brownie mix. Don't need to add anything. Well, still got to add water, don't you? See, if Jesus was a brownie mix, it'd come with water too. Come on, amen? It would, come, it would be complete. It'd be complete. There's just no doubt about it. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Because some of y'all say, well, now wait a minute. How's it different? Well... The Bible says once it's finished, he yielded up his spirit. See, now I, I, I don't think I'm stretching this. Y'all, y'all, y'all smarter than me can come up after and tell me this. But when it says he yielded up, it means that, that they didn't kill him. He willingly died. That, that's why I think it believes. Now, now watch this. In case you, you got questions, listen to this. John 10, you know, chapters before this. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Let me read again. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one, how many? No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have, I love this. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command have I received from my father. He was in total control. Amen. Yeah. Amen. This is cool, guys. Now again. Think of all the religious leader. Is there anybody walking around with a plow and say, I can lay my life down and take it up again? Is Muhammad running around with a sign going that? Is Buddha running around with that? No, there's just not any. They didn't even make that claim. Jesus is like no other. Jesus isn't, you know, a little bit different. He's way different. That's why there's no other like him. It's just, it's just incredible what he has done, what he's did. But not only that. He's different in his purpose. Again, a lot of good men have died for a purpose, but not a purpose like this. Now, on your sheet buried in the middle of that scripture there, it picks up on the second line. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood or made right by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. No one claims this. Jesus came, I, seek, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was purposeful in his death. He died to atone for the sins of man. And again, no one else. No one else makes that claim. But Jesus died that we could have forgiveness of our sins. Isn't that incredible? Come on, isn't that incredible? 
How cool. It's so cool to know that the cross wasn't a plan gone bad. It wasn't, whoops, gobbles on vacation in Florida and took his eyes off the ball. No. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. It was as if already done before the foundation of the world was laid. Oh, John Wesley wrote a hymn that goes like this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain. For me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? When Jesus was virgin born, He was God in the flesh. He was Emmanuel. And when they nailed Him on that cross, He was still fully God. And He took the wrath of His Father and He spilled His blood that people like you and I could have forgiveness of sins. Because of grace, not because I'm a good boy, not because I've done some good, but because of amazing grace, I'll never feel the fires of hell. It has nothing to do with my worthiness. I want you to get that so clear. Nothing to do with my worthiness, but His amazing grace. And that's where, you know, I know all this may sound, if you're here today and you're a guest, you're going, yeah, that's right. That's why I don't like Christianity. It's so narrow. No, it's so broad. Because, see, God said, whosoever will may come. God said, for God, you know, God said, God, I love you. I love the world so much that I'll give my only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, so you think, Islam, it's narrow. You got only the ones who do this, 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 and this even have a chance for heaven, according to their doctrine. We don't believe that. But if you'll do this, 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 and this, you might be eligible. If you do this, 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 and this, you get to buy a lottery ticket. Good luck. Good luck. God says, by grace, okay, all you white folks, by grace you can come in. If you'll return from your sins and believe my son, you can come in. Uh, black folks, how about, you know, everybody think, rich folks. You know, back in that culture, the rich people, you know, boy, if anybody's going to heaven, it's rich people. Guess what? Rich people can get into heaven by grace. Come on. Dwayne, I'm not rich. Oh, you're poor? <laughs> You're you know, some of Jesus' favorites. <laughs> Blessed be the poor. By faith in Jesus Christ, through grace, turning from your sin, you're in. If you speak English, you're in. If you speak Spanish, you're in. If you speak um, Ethiopian, you're in. If you live in this country or another country, you're in. You're in. You're in. For God so loved the world. Now, that's broad. And all the other religions, you've got to do something. And it gets narrower and narrower and narrower. To find gets down to zero because you can't do it. But by grace you can. Does that excite y'all? See, you see why we got to go? You see why we got to tell? You see why we got to do? Because there is no other message like this. And then, if that wasn't enough, no other undied. I mean, he died, and then he undied. Now, once again, you don't see anybody undying. I mean, Lazarus undied, but then he died again. I mean, there's not there. But, but Jesus, watch this, Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection. It's on your sermon sheet in Mark chapter 10, verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. Yep, that happened. They will condemn him to death. Uh-huh. They will deliver him to the Gentiles, that would be the Romans. And they will mock him, they did. And they will scourge him, they did. And they will spit on him, they did. And they will kill him, and they did. 
And the third day, he's going to get up. Now, that's like no other, guys. Yeah, y'all need to clap. I'm telling you, y'all should be on your feet. Not for me, but for this truth. See, that's, can I just be honest with you? That's the problem. We, we have a hard time when we get up here and say, Jesus, no one, no one's prophesied like Jesus. No one's born like Jesus. No, no one lived like Jesus. No one died like Jesus. And no one undied like Jesus. Man, we all be on our feet going, woo, woo, woo. Now, y'all go to them ball games. And you, woo, woo, woo about that. Man, your, your kid stands up and you go, oh, he stood up. We go on Facebook. My kid stood up. I've got bigger news than that. My Savior got up. He got up. Yeah. Like Noah. Oh, 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 by the way, because he got up, we're going to get up. We can, we can undie too. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's a family thing. You understand? It's a family thing. We get undie too. Oh, how incredible. Now listen, listen, take this home with you. The, the early church couldn't get over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, the cross. They couldn't get over the cross either. But they could, because, because the resurrection proved the cross. See, the, the resurrection proved, and they couldn't get over it. And I want to tell you something. Seriously, every time, one of the reasons we worship on the Sunday is the first day of the week because it celebrates the resurrection. And we need, not, not just once a year, but we've got it. When we gather together, we don't, listen, we don't celebrate a dead Jew. <laughs> we celebrate a risen Messiah, King of kings, and Lord of lords, of which there is no other. <laughs> now, y'all get excited about that. Y'all get excited about that. That's just who Jesus is. And you know what's crazy? Even the end of the story is like no other. Because, you know, he gets up, talks to the guys for 40 days. And he ascends back to heaven. They're all watching him going, wow, there he goes. In fact, the angel said, what are you looking at for? And he's he's going to come back. See, what's so cool about this story? It has a story like an ending like no other. Because the end's not like the end. You know, I don't know that song. I must have been doing something when Judy and the girls sang it. Or when Faith sang it. This is a song that never ends. Da, 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 da. I think that's how it goes. Does that ring a bell? Well, I don't have a song that never ends, but I have a story that never ends. Because Jesus said, as he ascended, the angel said, he's coming back. And you know what? He's coming back. Now, now that part of the story, we haven't seen fruition yet. But you know, when I walk through an orchard and I start seeing apples on the trees... I know it must be somewhere around August because the apples start maturing in August. I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and this puppy may go on for another thousand years. But I'm telling you, if you know anything about this book and what it says, we are seeing signs of the times everywhere. And Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says it this way. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ 
will rise first. The loved ones that you got out in the cemetery, they're not there. That's just an old corrupted body. It's a bunch of dust now. But one day, Jesus is going to come back, and the Bible says He's going to bring their soul with them, and that old body's going to get up and get brand newed up and glorified, and they're going to come together, and they're going to be with Jesus. And then some of us are going to be walking around. And by the way, you don't want to be walking around after I tell you how this happens. Because if you're walking around after I tell you how this happens, it means you've got some hard years coming ahead of you. But the Bible says, after dead in Christ rise, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, snatched up. So if I'm here preaching one day and I disappear, and you don't, whoops, <laughs> that's going to be the biggest whoops of your life. <laughs> No, no, it, the Bible says we're going to be caught up. In other words, when Jesus comes, the day in Christ is going to rise first, then us. Then us. And then he says, comfort one another with these words. Now, I know that's discomforting if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And frankly, it might be discomforting if you're not ready to meet Jesus. But it's pretty exciting if you think about it. Just like the resurrection chapter Proves what happened to the cross. This coming back thing is going to be the capstone of it all. Oh, and did I tell you the story that end? Because once we get to heaven, it just goes kind of like a long sermon. goes on and on and on. But I promise you this, you won't be bored in heaven. Now, hey, listen. We say this all the time. I'm going to bless some bubbles. No, your husband's not up fishing for bass in heaven. No, Terry, there are no golf courses in heaven. No, there's no pecan pie in heaven. Well, maybe pecan pie. <laughs> maybe pecan pie. But we will spend eternity celebrating this no other kind of Savior like Jesus. All eternity in the presence of God. Now, I think I told you this a while back. I told you a little kid asked the preacher and said, is heaven going to be like church? And he says, oh, no, son, won't. He goes, good, because I wouldn't want to go if it was. <laughs> heaven is nothing like church. This, is, this, ain't even, this ain't even a sniff of what heaven is. So you don't want to miss it. Now, so, so that means, now, again, I know some of you have got like tons of unanswerable, unanswerable questions, okay? But did some of what I said today just factually make sense to you? I mean, you can't deny this, this, is, this is thousands of years old. I mean, it's, it's the Word of God. There's no other book like this. Can I encourage you to do something? Get and read it. You know, we believe that, that God calls people to Himself. And I can't tell you, it's time after time her stories where I was reading in John, I was reading in Matthew, and da-da-da-da-da. And the person felt this, this pulling, this drawing, this need to do something with the truth that they were reading. So even today, you're saying, well, Dwayne, i got too many questions still. I'm not ready to, you know, to make any kind of commitment. May I encourage you to read the Word of God? Maybe God will speak to you through His Word concerning your lostness and your need of a Savior. So I pray today you will. Now, you might be ready. And for that reason, we have a time of decision. And Brent will be down front, and you can come, and we'll try to answer your questions. We're not, you know, we don't have all the answers but we can give some good basic answers and we'll start that process with you. We would love that. And you may be ready today to say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to make that commitment. I'm ready to turn from my sin, like you said, preacher, and I want to follow Jesus. Cool. That's great. Tom, come tell Brent. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is like no other. No other. Now, the rest of us, the rest of us, a lot of us here have become Jesus followers. I'm going to ask you today, 
Are you willing to accept this truth and let it change your life today? Are you willing to leave here different than, when, than how you came in? Are you willing today to let the truth impact you so that you go live differently out in that world? I mean, if it's really true that there are 300 prophecies and Jesus fulfilled all of them, it's really true that he was virgin born like no other man. I mean, if it's true that he lived a sinless life, it's true that he died. If it's true that, that he's resurrected, if it's true he's coming back, you understand what we got? We got the truth. And truth sets you free, Jesus said. So are you willing today to go, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been playing around with this. I mean, it was a good thing to do on Sunday morning. You know, I'm not a, a lake person anyway. It's a good social thing, you know. It makes me feel good. Uh, we enjoy the music, you know. Are you ready to let Jesus really impact your life in a way that you never dreamed possible? As you understand, He is a risen Savior. He is. He is. And there's none like Him. Live like the Savior you have is like no other because He is. Would you bow your heads right there? I hope this encouraged you. As I studied it, I told David earlier in the week, I said, Dave, this is going to be a fun sermon to preach. Because I love just sharing truths. And when I started sharing truths about my Savior, I got so excited. I got so excited. So if you're here today, and you say, I'm a loser. I've done too much. God doesn't love me. Couldn't love me. I don't even love me. Would you, would you come down and ask some questions? Would you come down and let us share even again a little more clearer about what faith in Jesus means and how He can radically change your life? How you can have forgiveness of sin? We would love that. In fact, that's kind of why we're here, really. So Brent will be waiting down front. We hope that you'll come. And brothers and sisters, let's leave impacted differently for there's no other kind of a Savior. Now, I don't have time to explain baptism, but probably if you need it, you know it. And we'd love to share with you about the truth about baptism. doesn't save you. has nothing to do with salvation. has to do with obedience and your love for Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know, I've been coming to this church for a while. It might be just time for me to put my name on the line. And you'd like to join our fellowship. We would love that. And we can share that truth with you. Perhaps as I, studied, as I went through this, you realize how much God did for you. Perhaps you're going, you know what? I'm not living that. And maybe today you want to recommit your life to Him. You don't need to get resaved, but recommit your life to Him. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Or you know what? As I tell them in Judgment House, life is hard. And maybe you just want to come down to the old altar here. It's these steps. We call it an altar. And just spend some time with God in prayer. And we got some friends who want to pray with you. We don't believe anyone should pray alone in our services. So whatever need you have, if we can help, we'd like to do that. And I want to tell you one more time, there is a God who can help. And is one of a kind Savior. Thanks, God, for the privilege of teaching this truth today. Only you can draw people to yourself. No preacher. No preaching style, not even music or words, not emotion. Only you can draw people to your son, Jesus Christ. I'm asking you'll do that. For my friends here who need to begin that journey that leads to redemption and forgiveness, Father, help them to come. For us, Father, for us who already know you, may we be committed today to leave this room different than we came in, following a no other kind of Savior. Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.